recording so I don't forget. Um, this is the Best Agile Articles of 2018 conference. Our next speaker is Trisha Broderick, and she's going to be presenting on challenges leaders face personally, and we're excited to have you. Um, everyone is on mute. If you have questions, please feel free to use your chat function, and we will look at questions toward the end of the session, and I'll help Trisha to manage those so that we can um, make sure that we attend to everyone. So Trisha, welcome, and I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you, Sherry. Um, hi, everyone. It feels very weird to be talking to other people and yet not really talking to anybody, <laughs> as well as sitting while I'm doing this. Um, so it's just, it's kind of, you're like, oh, wait, I'm actually in this mode right now. Uh, I actually first want to start off with a little bit of a disclaimer here. This session is not going to be about challenges you're facing in the organization or how you deal with teams or how you deal with, with kind of um, individuals within a team. This is a really personal kind of session in terms of the things that and challenges we as leaders often face. And I've been doing this for a little bit and given everything that's going on right now, it, it seems even more point and important and, and necessary to kind of be vulnerable, to talk about it, to, to put it out there and to discuss it. Um, I also have to highlight, though, as a disclaimer, and I didn't put this on the slide, but I, will, I need to call it out. I have two teenagers, a significant other, and a dog in this house. So I cannot promise anything as to what might come over the speakers at some point throughout this. We'll, we'll see and we'll give it a try. But let's get started with it uh, as we're going forward. Every good session should start with a slight rant. And so here's mine. I hate Dilbert. Hate Dilbert cartoon. And here's why. Because it's really easy to mock the pointy hair boss. It's really easy to mock the leader, to mock that manager, to just kind of be condescending to it. And the reality is, is in the Agile community, personally, I've been part of officially going to the conferences and stuff since 2007. And the reality was, it wasn't super welcoming to managers. It just wasn't. It was get out of the way and, and what did that really mean? And so we haven't really taken the time to help leaders understand what problems they're gonna face as well as what skills or, or tools they need to do. And I think it gets really easy to just dismiss a leader instead of understanding where they might be coming from, but also as a leader to put that attention back on yourself just for a second because so often we're worried about our team members, our org, our customers, and we kind of sometimes don't worry about ourselves. So when I was thinking about this and when I was facing it myself, I've had a lot of different variety of leadership roles. I have been a project manager, scrum master, a lead developer. I've been a director of development, an executive. I've led PMO offices. So like I've had a variety of management leadership type roles at various levels within an organization. But a question kept coming to me over and over. And some of it you could just argue is imposter syndrome. Some of it was just you know, confidence maybe. But I kept asking over and over, what if I'm the problem? Like I keep facing all these issues in the org and with the team and these conflicts. And, and I just had an element of what if I am the problem? What if it is me? Maybe I'm not cut out to be a leader. Maybe I'm not cut out for this job. And so I, want, I started exploring what, what were common patterns, common themes that I was experiencing. And now as the role that I have in a coach and a leadership trainer, I've seen with other people. So those are the, I'm going to share some of those patterns today. And I'm going to do this a little bit more in keynote style. Those that are familiar with me, I tend to have very interactive sessions. I wasn't sure which tools would be available today. So I'm just going to go a little bit more keynote style with this um, and ask you to do things and, and use the honor system when when you're on your own with it, okay? So pattern number one that I frequently experience and I've seen over and over again is this feeling like you just, you have to do the work. Like it's, it's, it's just easier if I do it myself. And I, I got in this trap multiple, multiple times of I'll just do it, I'll just do it. And um, for those that are familiar with the requirement specific, specification documents, you know, those, they were the like single line documents. They were huge and you get a single sign off and the very gates of big, large, especially government type projects. 
and we would need to spit those but there would be all these errors. And so I would take this red pen and I, as the leader, as the person who was gonna be responsible for the contract, right? I just had to make sure that it was getting done. And so I would mark it all up and I would turn it in and I'm like, okay, they learned. They learned what mistakes they made. So the next one I saw was gonna be better. Only the next one, you bet, was worse. And when I took it back to the team, I actually asked them, what is going on, right? Like these are the same mistakes as before. And their answer was, we were just getting it close enough because you like doing it. And I'm like, oh no, I am the problem. Because the reality is, is if we keep doing things how I've always done them, because at one time I was doing it, we don't give way for innovation. We don't give way for group. And we definitely don't give way for shared ownership and and quality of teams that are delivering it. So what I had to start doing is looking at myself and saying, what did I really want to be exploring? And how do I really want to be as a leader with this? And it was much more important for me to understand what my real purpose was. And, And for so long, my purpose was delivery, right? For so long, my purpose was to make sure that everything I'd done, we deliver the customers happy and as a leader my purpose kind of changes to really trying to help other people grow up to helping other people be what they can do because that's really where you're going to get wisdom of the crowd that's where scaling starts to come in that's where things start to happen but this wasn't easy i mean it's one thing to just go well trisha know that you should just you know focus on other people not just do the work yourself because it's hard I, it struggled to stop giving the quick answer. I really, really struggled. And I struggled because I had experience. I had skills. I could do the work, right? Like it was legit faster for me to do it sometimes. And it was hard for me to just not give that quick answer. So I had to find other ways that if I was going to really focus on their abilities, what could I potentially do? And so I'm going to give you two little ideas and tips with each one of these patterns. You may have more as you're going forward. For me, two things really helped me to get into that. I'm a leader that needs to be focused on creating the right environment for people to excel. And that meant me having to actually write down what's going to come out of my mouth. I'm an extrovert. Anybody that knows me on this call knows I like to talk. I don't often have a filter. (laughs) What I think just comes out of my mouth. And so I started actually sitting in a meeting as a leader. And instead of quickly chiming in with all my thoughts that were going on as the discussion was happening, I started writing down the key points I was going to verbally make. And by not saying it, something magical actually happened. And what happened was, other people started saying the things I was going to say. I wasn't giving them the space to say it. And so not only was other people able to speak up, to share, to contribute, to engage, but I also got to have check marks because I love my list. I make lists of lists. I'm that person, okay? And and as somebody else said it, I got to check it off, right? And lo and behold, most of the things that I was saying or thinking during the meeting, somebody else was saying, and I really only needed to contribute one or two things toward, you know, as we were going forward. And it really helped me to focus on the whole and not just what my actual contribution based on my experience and my skills were. The other was, is starting to think about how I'm trying to grow my team members. So as a leader, you should be challenging people, right? And if I have somebody that I want to see take more of an active role, I want to be actively thinking about that so that I'm noticing in the room how they are or not doing that. And it, or if I have somebody that is, you know, very, um, conflict, you know, they're, they, they're abrupt when they talk and we're working on trying to work on that. And I might be really paying attention to how they're doing that. Because my focus is also on their growth and I'm actively thinking about maybe the top one or two things each person's working on, it causes me to have this kind of almost meta double layer engagement in the room. And as a result, 
I'm also not as quick to jump in on every single thing and just do it because I'm looking at too many things. I'm, I'm kind of observing multiple different dynamics. And so as you're going forward with this, when you're thinking about this pattern is, is how many times are you actually doing something that could be somebody else's? And, and it gets easy to say, we'll just do it. But it's, it's a matter of actually kind of going, how, how do I really want to show up? And is this one of those things that I'm, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that I always have to do it, <laughs> which leads us into actually the next pattern. Because what most of you are thinking a little bit or a good number of you, but Trisha, I have to. <laughs> it's not just that I want to do that thing because of my experience, but I have to because if we don't, we're going to get this huge penalty. If we don't, um, the company's going to go under, right? Like there's all these kinds of thoughts that come in that even if we can go, yes, I should step back and, and allow the team to engage more. I should be focusing on different things than just continuing to use my experience. And that way, we have these weights. As leaders, we have these accountability. We don't need anybody to say you're accountable for that. We feel the weight at all times. We feel the pressures. We feel the responsibilities. And especially kind of in an environment like this, it's really heavy. It's, it's super heavy. And I start thinking about how many times I've, I've consider this and and used one of these like excuses kind of but I have to because if we don't do this then you know the customer is going to cancel their contract and the reality is that sometimes that's just not fully true and so when we're coming into this we have to be really thinking about where our team is and so many people call a team a team that's not really a team, okay? I'm from Michigan. I, I see a couple people from Michigan on here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this out. I might be, don't please get off the call, but I'm still going to do it. I'm from Michigan. Calling the Detroit Lions a team does not make them so. Doesn't, no, nope. right? So, so let's go through this a little bit. If you're a leader and you're first forming people together, if you're using Tuckman's model, right? You're forming people together, they're individuals. They have their own strengths, their own weaknesses. They're worried about themselves and what they can do. Now, most companies are hiring with the expectation that you're gonna work with other people. And so as leaders, we wanna be moving them away from individuals into group. And, and group state is where cooperation happens. Think of cooperation as, is, it, it sounds often a lot like this. I will help you with your part as long as mine gets done. You will get measured on your part, I will get measured on mine. Think relay race. It's those handoffs. It's, it's, it's willingness to help, but, but each part is measured and done individually, right? You can get a relay team up on a podium afterwards and go, we win or lose all as one team. But the reality is, is if somebody falls down on that relay team, y'all know who messed up, right? Like there's not a, ooh, what happened? What, you know, no. It's clear who did their part and didn't. Now a group can be effective if you have task-based work. If it's very, something you can coordinate and control with that, a group might be all you need. And unfortunately, in some cases, groups are what most organizations consist of. Even though we call them teams, most organizations consist of a series of you know, um, layered and tiered groups. Beyond a group is what's known as a team. And a team is where you go from cooperation to collaboration. And collaboration is no longer my part, your part, it's our part. We're doing this together. We're building this together. And what we gain from that is wisdom of the crowd results. So a lot, some of your innovation is going to come in, some of your um, quality, some of those elements are going to start to shine in that because you're truly yes-anding each other and building off of what you could bring to the table together. Most people consider teams, if you can get to a team, you get a lot of results. You can get a ton of results. But I'm going to channel some of you right now. When you have a team, things feel good. 
you're getting things done. But as a leader, you might say things like this, wish I could take a day off. Why, why, why am I the only person that can figure that out? Oh, I wish I could clone John. I need like four more Johns. Ah, Susan, she's my, I gotta be careful with Susan, right? Like, and you have this like martyr kind of dynamic because when you're in a team, you're not realizing that there's something beyond it. And, that, and what's beyond it is a high performing team. And a high performing team is what in the agile community we call a self-organizing team. And this isn't a self-organizing team has no leader. This is a self-organizing team has shared ownership. That weight that I was talking about, they actually experience it too. I had a lead developer once come to me um, at Caterpillar in Illinois, and he said, Trisha, I have a bunch of millennials and they're not stepping up. And I said, okay. And I, well, who decides what's going to get worked on this sprint? I do. Who's estimating it? I am. Who's checking up on it and talking with the clients? I am. Who's code reviewing? I'm doing them all. Who felt the ownership, him or his team? And as long as he kept feeling it, he was actually holding them back from becoming that high performing team because they were basically waiting for his instructions because he was that. So instead, when we are talking about this, we want to be really focused as a leader of getting people to this high performing team. And in order to do that, we have to be constantly expanding the boundaries, constantly being transparent about what do I need to do because I have to do as the leader because I have that accountability. And what do I want to start transitioning more and more to the team as we have this two-way trust, as we build the competencies. It's not just like that fake, you're empowered and now let it be so. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know, it's actually building empowerment. It's actually working together because what you want is for you to stop being the hub. A lot of the problems you will face personally is because you've made yourself the hub because of that weight, because of the accountability. And in the reality is, is you're still present in a high performing team, but you're present in a different way. Now, again, it's easy for me to just say this. Don't be the hub. Don't stop owning everything. And then all the fears, all the pressures, all the yelling from above <laughs> starts happening. And you're like, what? I can't like, that's crazy. And it was hard for me too. Um, I had to do two things um, that helped me the most. If I started focusing in on like the environment and the container, I had to really stop and ask myself what that worst case scenario is. My brain's ability to create like, I'm gonna get fired, the entire team's gonna get fired, the customer's gonna run away, right? Like my ability to create the worst case scenario was impressive. Like. Maybe it made me a good at risk mitigation and strategies, but in reality, my ability to go to the extreme to justify my behavior was super easy. And, but when I sat down and really kind of went through what's really likely to happen, what's really is the worst case scenario, it actually gave me some more breathing room in that container than I thought there was. I could, the edge was much further out than I thought it was most of the time. And I had to start kind of going, well, what else is possible, right? Is if I believe in the wisdom of the crowd, if I believe in collaboration, then I've got to stop pretending like I can be the single hero and stop being the hub and, and actually holding things back. And so it was a real gut check. <laughs> it's kind of like when you realize you've been sending mixed messages here, you're like, no, you should collaborate because wisdom of the crowd, but I'm the hub. It, it, it didn't always go hand in hand with things. So let's do um, the third pattern. I call this, yes, as a leader, we want to be recognized too. <laughs> and, so, you know, this is a hard dynamic is, is for those that have read Pat, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team, it's like, which is your primary team? Is it the team you're a part of or is it the team that you're leading? And, and it is the team that you're a part of, but often depending on, you know, especially at an executive level, it doesn't always feel that way. And so it's really easy to kind of want to be recognized as part of the team as a leader. And especially because your whole past, right? right? Like it was really easy, especially because I got to get my check marks in, right? 
okay, I could solve a problem, check, I was good, employee of the month, great, I was that, good, I got promoted, boom. It was really easy for most of my career to feel a sense of accomplishment, to feel like I was doing a good job. But the problem started becoming the more higher in terms of leadership I was gaining, the harder it was to actually experience these and to feel these. And so I needed to start being way more clear about what truly put me on cloud nine, what motivated, what made me feel appreciated. And um, I, and honestly, I didn't know really what that was to start, right? You're again, you're so, it, cause it changes and it's different over time. And so it was a matter of kind of trying to go and figure it out for myself as well as for others. And so I started adapting material from both Daniel Pink and from um, uh, the people that did the five love languages, uh, Chapman and White also did five work appreciation languages. And so I've, I've blended those two models here with, with these five work mo motivators. But for me to go, what really motivates me as a leader, not just, but as a person, right? Like what am I super motivated by. It's not perks. And so for a lot of leaders, it's like, but you get to do this. I'm like, but perks aren't <laughs> what motivates me. For me, it really falls more into the appreciation and purpose dynamics that really drive me and starting to understand that and really taking the time to reflect for myself because it has changed for a very long time. Mastery was what was very motivating for me as, as a developer or what I call a recovering developer. Like you don't want, I still get excited when I see code, but you don't want me coding anymore. Like it's not a good thing. Right. But I want to see and understand how that's changed over time. And I had to really stop and think through what, what kinds of things put me on cloud nine? What kinds of dynamics actually do that for me? Because no matter what I want to believe, no matter how high performing my team is, I still have positional power as a leader. I am never going to be completely part of that team. I'm helping to create the environment for that team to be high performing, but it's, they're the team. I'm creating the environment in the container, and at the end of the day, no matter what, you have positional power when you're managing them, when you're leading them. It, it is the reality. And as someone who is type A, extremely extroverted, and thrives in connection, um, my colleague Jake Calbury likes to mock me because He's like, I stay connected people. And Trisha, you're on a totally different level. Like I constantly, you know, will open my home to former colleagues that I haven't worked with for years. I will hear from people for a really long time that, you know, they're in town and I'm like, oh, let's go get something, you know, let's go have happy hour or something. Like I, I'm so invested in people <laughs> that it doesn't stop when I stop working with you. So for me to want that recognition, for me to want to be part of a team and not be able to, honestly was really hard for me. <laughs> it, it almost broke my heart a little bit, right? But it caused me to do bad things and that I could accidentally steal attention or I could accidentally make it about me and it really wasn't supposed to be. And so I had to learn some new techniques. And those techniques meant focusing on different wins. As a leader, how you got to be a leader was often you accomplished a lot of things. You got things done. You did a good job. And for someone who likes check marks, right? It's like, boom, boom, boom. I like, I didn't give up. Okay. I'm just, I'm going to own it right now. The Franklin Covey planners, you know, like the, the paper planners that you used to go to the store and you buy, and it was a binder. You get the big one, you get the small one, right? I only gave mine up a couple of years ago. Like, and when I say a couple of years ago, two might be pushing it <laughs> because I liked my, I, I liked feeling that sense of accomplishment each day, marking things off and Trello doesn't quite give that same feeling to me as, as the Franklin Kobe planner did. And, and the reality is, is as a leader, I don't always have tasks that get completed in a single day. I don't always get a check mark every day. And that was hard. 
And so I had to start figuring out how to redefine quick win. I had to start thinking about how to, what I could consider a win. Because I was really careful to not ever, like if somebody else did something, I'm like, nope, that's theirs. I have no part of it. And one day, one of my former developers said this to me that made me realize that I maybe should be redefining some of my wins. And he said, he told me that one of his favorite parts was that when they were doing something cool or unique or new for the first time, he loves looking around the room and almost inevitably would I, I would be standing in the back of the room grinning from ear to ear. Because, and for me, I was, it was true. I would be standing because I'd be so proud of what was happening in the room, that they were trying something new, that they were experimenting, that they were doing, so, you know, like doing something cool or innovative or working together. It didn't, I mean, honestly, it didn't matter. The more I focused on the container, the more happier I got when I saw the container working, right? Like when I saw the environment actually producing high-performing teams. And I'm like, but that's not my win. That's your win. And, and, uh, but then I started thinking about the fact that he's even looking for me to do that, right? Like that as much as I kind of say, I am not part of that team, I am a critical component of the team and creating that environment. And that is the win. And so I can, without stealing their actual recognition, but I can take pride in the fact of watching them do that and knowing that I had a part in it. Maybe not the part of doing it, but the part of creating an environment where they felt comfortable to do it. And that was a whole new level of win that I wasn't accustomed to using as, as a definition, as, as something to rate or, or evaluate myself on. And honestly, I had to go outside. Um, I had to find alternative sources. People often ask me, why do I start speaking? Why do I do this? Why, why do I try and pay it forward and, and, and do these things? And this is one of more embarrassing things. This whole talk is embarrassing, honestly. It's very like, let me tell you all the bad things. Um, <laughs> but like the reality is, is I started speaking because I needed a place where it could be about me. Now, granted, what it was, was me sharing about my team or sharing about what we were doing or sharing about what I was learning or what I was doing with those things. But the reality is, is when I was speaking at the start, I wasn't worried about was my architect, you know, doing this or what I, I wasn't focused on the content. I got to just share and be and be my loud, extroverted type A self <laughs> and, and enjoy. And when people appreciated it at the end, I... I actually felt some of that recognition. I felt, I felt part of a new team. I felt part of, Diana Larson often, often calls the Agile community her tribe. And that very much was true for me. Like I felt part of a new team. I felt part of a new community where I could be recognized and not feel like I was taking away from somebody else that I'm leading. And that, and I'm not saying you need to go speak, Maybe that's your thing, maybe it's not, but find alternative sources that can meet some of those motivations sometimes. Because if you're not finding them in other places, chances are you're going to look for them at work and it's not going to be healthy and good for you creating that high performing team, which is really what we all want. So let's do the fourth one. We got five total, okay? Um, or we got four, yeah, four total, I'm sorry. Um, uh, we, we, this is the last one. Um, this is the one that most people don't wanna acknowledge. Uh, when I started speaking, I didn't realize that I was going to have a consistent kind of approach. Uh, my approach generally is, is what do I wanna talk about that no one else wants to admit? <laughs> or what do I not want to admit and, and put it out there? And so I can say all these things like, okay, I have to do the job or my experience makes me the best to do the job or, you know, I'm a human and I want to be recognized. But the reality is, is there's also just insecurities. And, and I think that we make these assumptions about leaders that they should already know everything, that they're already confident, that they already have it together. And the reality is, we, most of us don't. 
right? We do in some elements, but it's really easy to go, what if I lose my job? And, and, and that's scary. Um, this environment is scary for a lot of people right now. There is a lot of people in unemployment. There are a lot of agile coaches that are not working right now. Some because they don't want to do virtual or, or can't travel. Some because they're, they were contract with companies and they've let them go, right? There's a big fear of, at the end of the day, we have to financially support our families, right? Or ourselves and, and, and that fear we can talk about servant leadership and selfless leadership all day long, but it's also crazy to think that somebody's not going to have some influence by whether or not they're being judged or they're being liked or they could lose their job. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of stress. So not only do you have the stress and weight from customers, not only do you have the stress and weight from organizational leadership and your management and your leaders, but it's the stress and weight that we will actually put on ourselves as well for our families. Because I don't care how many times people say, it's not personal, it's just business. That is a flat out lie. We don't do or spend this amount of time doing something that's not personal. Everybody that's speaking this week, uh, today, Ellen, uh, Rowan, like everybody, we're all doing this just to pay it forward, to do it because it is personal. It is something we care about. It's something we're trying to give back because so many people have given to us with it. And so I, I don't get behind this. It's part of the reason why I don't like Dilbert. I can't get behind this because leaders are humans too. And I got a huge dose of this um, recently. And my huge dose was actually tied to a concept I had carried with me for a very long time. And at the core of this concept, it's not surprising. It's not a big, it's like, this is not a big unveil. Ready? Intentions and perceptions don't often match. They don't often align. I cannot tell you how many times as a leader, like I remember the when I became an executive for the first time, I was so nervous about writing that first email out to everybody. And I basically overanalyzed everything I was going to, like how could they think, what, what might they think I mean by this? And like I, I spent a ridiculous amount of time writing a two-line email, okay? It's, it's humiliating. And even then, when I sent it out, somebody was like, what did you mean by that? It's like, hi, that's what I meant. <laughs> like, I didn't mean anything else. And it's, it's frustrating. As a leader, there's so many times you're not able to say things that you wish you could. You know, you've got HR telling you what you can and can't do at times. You've got um, just general respect that you feel confidentially, you know, you shouldn't share or you shouldn't discuss. Um, and yet these judgments will be coming on you. Uh, we were, I had a developer once that was on a performance improvement plan and everybody was super mad. They're like, you're not doing anything about it. And I, and I wanted to scream from the rooftops. I am, I am. But the, but the reality was, is that would be self, like, it's not respectful to my developer. I can't. And so you just continuously kind of take the, the shot after shot, the, the, the judgments, the perceptions, the invalid assumptions. And I, this was actually what prompted this whole talk for me to kind of start thinking back to why do I keep thinking I'm the problem was because I, after taking shot after shot after shot, because the more public your role becomes, sometimes the easier it is, right, to make assumptions and, and to go there, is I broke. I literally broke and wondered, do I even want to be a leader? Like, and I almost said the words that I would seriously, like, be disgusted if my leader said was, you don't know how hard my job is. <laughs> like, you never want to hear a leader say that. And yet that's what I was feeling because I was carrying that weight for so long and because I didn't feel like a part of the team and, and what did that mean and it was my responsibility to care you know to do all this and what if I'm not being valuable and and I just you can get into this shame cycle that can almost bring you completely down 
And, and, and for my case, it was pretty close to being almost completely brought to my knees and wondering, do I want to completely change my career? And, and then I had to kind of just stop and go, have I made a difference? And the, and the funny thing was, is when I could think to specific scenarios, I could think to moments where I've made an impact on somebody, where I can think to, you know, where someone gave me an appreciation, where someone acknowledged that I made a difference in their life. When someone has like messaged me 10 months later and said, hey, that talk you did, I just did something because of it and thank you. I can actually break apart those little moments and go, I truly have made a difference. And then I had to stop and go, so why am I, why am I letting my insecurities, my fears, why am I letting this completely consume me? And it was because I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't focused on me because if I focused on me, it felt wrong. I didn't want anybody else to be brought in to the conflict. I didn't want anybody else to have to take a side. I didn't want anybody else to know anything about it because it should be confidential. It should be respectful. It should be all of these things. This is my responsibility as a leader. And I kept trying to convince myself of that. And so that if I wasn't handling it, it meant I wasn't a good leader. And that's not fair. The thing I realized, and for me, I didn't realize it proactively, I realized it retroactively, was I broke. I actually have what I would call, I would tell people was, I had verbal vomit, <laughs> emotional vomit that came out where I just completely broke. And, and I broke in this moment where I was just like, is any of this worth it? Is any, am I even doing anything? Like, and, and, and I caught a lot of people off guard because as much as I'm known for being super vulnerable and super, I've never had a complete and utter what I would just call a break <laughs> publicly in front of people. And, and for me to actually realize in that moment um, that I needed to admit I was struggling. I was putting on a face for everybody because I thought that's what I needed to do as a leader. And I realized as I was doing it, a couple things. One, I, I, one, I wouldn't do it again. I would hopefully do better before breaking again like that. But in reality, what I realized was actually valuable about, about that was I had a couple of people make comments like this. One person said, it actually makes me feel better because if I know you can break, then every time I'm breaking, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> like, you know, like if you, if you break, and it's okay, I know I can break sometimes and I'm gonna be okay too. And, and so it's kind of being, hey, I'm a leader, I need to be a role model. And this is part of it too, is that sometimes the pressure, sometimes the craziness of this world is a lot for us too. And it's okay to just admit you're struggling. You don't have to talk about the details. You don't have to ask for advice. You don't have, you can just say, I'm having a rough time. I, this, is, this is challenging. Um, this is hard for me too. And, and you're not looking for sympathy or empathy in any of those things, but you're, you're not putting on a fake smile and trying to muscle through all by yourself. And so admitting that was huge for me and which actually made me start realizing and researching a lot about why I was getting into such a shame cycle and I put on here four to one, but actually the research, there's ranges. I've seen everything from three to one to even eight to one. Um, your brain needs about some number of positive. It's definitely not one to one, but I put here for four, three to eight positives to really be able to handle criticism, one negative. And that's whether it's in your marriage, your relationships, work, different studies come from different lenses. And I started realizing that the kind of work that I do today, I have a really weird environment. I'm not a practitioner right now. So it's not day in, day out. And so I might go to a conference and I get all these positives, right? And then I'll go to a different meeting and all of a sudden I got, but that was weeks ago was the positives. All these positives at the conference was, you know, three weeks ago. And then all of a sudden I go into a meeting and someone gives me a criticism and I'm like, oh, what, what is it? <laughs> because I'm not getting a constant flow of positives and, 
and criticism and it, and it can be off balance at times. And when you're in a bad place, when you're not admitting you're struggling, you also discount the positives people are giving you. And so often there were so many positives that were happening when I did break, but I couldn't see them. I couldn't own them. I couldn't acknowledge them because it was so hyper-focused on the negatives and because I wasn't allowing myself to just admit it, to talk through it, to acknowledge that I need those sides too. And for me, it felt too self-serving. It felt too, too dismissive. It felt like I wasn't really trying to do the hard work. And none of that's true. None of it's true because you are a human too. <laughs> and the reality is, is as a leader, we have so many pressures that we have to take care of ourselves. And we have to be thinking about how are we getting that. And so increase conversations with other people in your community, increase conversations with your friends, like family members, go for longer walks, do whatever works for you. Um, but definitely take care of yourself. I kept trying to muddle through and I've seen so many leaders try and do that, right? Like where they just take it on, take it on. And eventually they're just like, I'm done. I want, I want to go back and I want to be done, but it's not good because the truth of the matter is, is what if I am the problem? And, uh, and I was lucky enough to have the late great dear friend and mentor David Hussman for me to remind me that I am the problem. And that's an awesome thing because it means there's potential. It means that there's things that you can do and you're willing to do. And that's the best kind of role model any leader can be is one that says I'm not perfect either. And that's what we need more of. It's not easy and it's not ever going to be where you focus completely like it is about you, but you've got to do these things to take care of yourself so you can truly take care of others. And to remember, nothing's actually perfect. Even the best things don't work in every situation. See, I ended on a funny slide. <laughs> um, with it. So uh, I believe that this goes till 2.50. So as a keynote style and stuff, we don't, um, we're going to open it up a little bit for questions for people for the last eight minutes or so, so that then we can take a break before um, I should know who's next. And I don't actually know who's next, Sherry. I forgot. That is totally okay. No problem at all. Our next speaker is Elena Veselueva. Yes, ma'am. And um, what questions do we have? Sherry, is it okay if I'll just face your hold for two to three minutes? Um, it shows here that. I heard someone talking, but I, it broke up for me. I think they were asking to do most of the questions in the chat, maybe. Yes, if you have questions, please put them in the chat and then we'll let Trisha handle those. We imagine that people are typing questions if they have them, they may not. This was a great presentation, Trisha. First time I've gotten the opportunity to hear you speak and a very, very passionate and dynamic I really, really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. It looks like people, oh, um, one oh, question one. is, does it become, does it become easier? easier? Yeah. Um, I think it become what I've seen is it becomes easier in certain elements. If you learn certain coping techniques with certain aspects, um, I'm not so much worried about being fired anymore. Like I, if I haven't been fired yet, I'm like, like, and I've done some crazy things. Um, so I think there's an element where you start to realize which habits you're using to kind of prevent yourself from doing certain things and you can break those. But I will be honest, they'll, sometimes they get replaced with new ones. Um, you know, I teach leadership and still had an element of like, no, I can handle this. I'm a, I teach leadership. I should be able to do 
and then got, oh, whoo, I just hit a whole new learning level. So I, I think it becomes easier to understand how far you've come. I think there's always going to be a dynamic that really great leaders challenge themselves, push themselves, and at times don't take care of themselves as well as they should. And so as maybe it becomes easier, the more we all start talking about this more <laughs> and supporting each other more. Um, any pointers on when to intervene and when people fail and learn? Uh, so one of the things that I will often do, and it goes back to that worst case scenario, I like to play the game, a te favorite technique of mine, a game that I use as a variation of the five whys. And I call it the, uh, what's the risk? And I got it from Leadership Circle. And it's basically if I sat down and said, what's the risk if they fail? And then I go deeper. What's the risk if that, you know, like if that comes true, what's the risk if that happens? And what's the risk if that happens? And, and I keep diving in. And oftentimes what I will find is my inclination is to jump in a lot sooner than I really need to. When I look at the full root causes of the risk and what might be really driving my like neat feeling of needing to step in, it's often there's a underlining risk that's tied to, but it's going to make us look bad or the team bad or so like in some kind of judgmental dynamic. And so when I take that moment and kind of go, what's really the worst case scenario? And if it happens, what would I do? How would I help them get back on track? One of the hardest things people will often say is don't repeat the same mistake twice. And I do agree with that. But there's a difference between you not repeating the same mistake twice and them repeat them making a mistake for the first time. The reason you know it's a mistake is because you learn from it. If you prevent their learning, then you become the hub and you can't ever get out of that role. And so ask yourself really what's the worst case scenario? Ask yourself when it happens and they fail, how are you gonna help them get back on track fast? And if you feel like you can get, come up with a plan for that, then chances are you're gonna, you're gonna figure out where that line is and it's gonna vary in each scenario. Um, uh, recording available, I'm assuming Sherry, you've got that one? Yes. Manage imposter syndrome. Um, so, Managing imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, I am definitely not the expert. I am the expert in having it. <laughs> um, definitely not always the expert in handling it. Uh, and I think, again, it goes back to some of those, take a minute and actually think about what differences you have made. Um, sometimes when we look at when we're in that bad space where, you know, things feel uncertain, when we're like freaking out, when it doesn't feel safe, we do have that tendency to focus on the negative. So um, it's one of the reasons I love the tokens of appreciation things. It's like I stop and I try and think back to when did I help somebody last? Well, you know, what was a good thing I just did? I, you know, even these kinds of things for myself is like, hey, I'm paying it forward. There's going to be some people on this call that are like, eh, I didn't get much from this one. I, you know, Ellen's was, you know, we loved Ellen's, right? And there's going to be others that are like, oh, this is exactly what I needed at the time. And I think there are times that I, as a leader, have to go, I have to take so many things into account that I'm not going to always make everybody happy. And I can't tie happiness to whether my value. And so using that helps me a little bit to go, I can have value and still want to get better. I can have value today and still need to learn. I can have value today and not be perfect. And I think kind of going down that path helps me, helps me put it into perspective. And then my last case scenario when I'm really in a bad space is, <laughs> You know how that, that, that what's that saying? Um, do as they say, but not as I do, <laughs> right? Like I am so much better that if somebody I was mentoring ever said some of the things that I say to myself, I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no, that's not you. Like, what are you talking about? And I, I will sometimes pretend like if I'm going to be a role model and people are going to look at me, what I'm saying to myself, what I want them to say that to them. And that will sometimes actually kick me out of, out of that shame cycle a little bit too. 
But I also, you know, I don't always consider it completely 100% bad. It, it, there are benefits to it too, in the sense that it does push me, it does help me grow. Um, it does keep me humble in a lot of ways, maybe too humble at times. Um, but, but I will kind of, I'll check myself with that um, perspective, which you sometimes will help as well. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Well, we want to give Tricia a big uh, round of applause for joining. And I did just repost the poll for you to give um, just a, a brief, fun little feedback. And um, Tricia, thanks so much for the presentation. And if you are willing, if you would send a PDF of your slides, we'll get those out to the whole um, group after. And um, thanks. And I was wrong. Next up is actually Catherine Maloney. I looked at the wrong line on my thing. So oh. <laughs> you're no worse than me. I don't know who's up next. Week, so. <laughs> I do want to take a minute to really call out Sherry and Michael. Um, this was a fantastic idea in a way to help everybody and, and in a way that I think honors the spirit that our community is about. So mad respect um, to the both of you. Well, thank you very much. And um, we will go on break for, we have nine minutes on break. We'll start back up at the very top of the hour and we'll join back in with Catherine. So um, thanks, Trish, and hope to see you soon. Thank you. Alrighty. Hi. Okay. You want just a PDF of it, Sherry? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. All right. Well, hello, Catherine. Thanks for joining. We just sent everybody by, by Trish. We just sent everybody on a 10 minute break. So that gives us time to get you up and running. Oh, she doesn't have audio yet. I'm just talking. So I will wait. <laughs> oh, let me turn off the recording.